This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. I think many of you will be shocked at some of the stats my guest on today's episode is going to share. Let me just give you one example. Did you know that right now, on average, you as a nonprofit leader and your organization are only tapping into 13% of your current donor's potential? In other words, 87% of your current donors are not being fully connected with your mission, which could in turn generate exponential increase in their support of your organization. Well, my guest today is Bob Westfall. He's the founder and chairman of Westfall Gold, a donor fundraising agency with a program that moves donors from transactional giving to transformational giving while turning supporters into ambassadors. And I think you're going to learn a lot from Bob today. And in fact, I think you're gonna be surprised by some of the insights he's gained through the years that will directly help you raise more money for your nonprofit. Now, I also want to give a shout out to all of our international listeners. It's been really fun to see this podcast grow and now be listened to by leaders across the globe. The last time I checked on my listener stats, I've got listeners now from 156 different countries. I know it's crazy. Now, that may just be one person in that country downloading the podcast, but countries like Australia and India and the United Kingdom and South Africa and Singapore, and the list goes on. Anyway, I just want to say thank you to all of you who are listening, whatever country you're listening in. It's really fun to have an international audience. I also want to reiterate that if you have questions for me or are ideas for future guests, do not hesitate to contact me. You just go to my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and you can subscribe or simply email me through my website on my contact page. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Well, Bob, I'm excited to have you on the show today. You have had extensive experience in fundraising, and effective fundraising is so critical to every nonprofit leader. So for my listeners, I just wanted to give out a little bit of a summary so you get to know Bob a little bit and about his, what his background has been. So Bob has organized 400 major donor weekend fundraising events on behalf of nonprofits, hospitals, and universities across the nation. His company that he founded, Westfall Gold, provides a service that helps nonprofits maximize their existing donors in order to make a difference with large philanthropic contributions, as well as they really encourage philanthropy to become more central to these donors' lives. Now, I want you, Bob, to talk about how and why you've invested your life into raising funds for all of these organizations, and also you've published an annual generosity report that I understand my listeners can download for free on your website. And some of the things you were sharing right before we started the show really shocked me, uh, some of the stats that you are finding. So please share those as well. Sure, Rob, it's an honor to be with you and thank you for inviting me. Look forward to this conversation. I've been in the philanthropic space for 32 years. It's uh, it's the core of my being. I know I was uh, created for such a purpose as this, if you will. It's It's been a journey beyond my wildest dreams. Our company 
as you mentioned, produce, helps uh, produce special weekend events for nonprofits, uh, three nights at a really classy, nice resorts. We're inviting ultra high net worth and high net worth families that we identify in the organization's donor file. So we have a proprietary wealth analytics program that we screen all of our prospective clients through. And that helps us identify the capacity, if you will, of the organization. And then between us and the client, we extract the prospects that make the most sense to invite to an event like this. And then our company puts together an entire program featuring you know, special speakers, music, fun, entertainment, but also full-on content presentations. At the end of the day, we want to get to a place where we extend an invitation for those givers to consider a transformational gift to the organization. As you mentioned, we've produced more than 400 of these since we founded the company back in 2002. And to this point, we've seen almost $1.4 billion raised for charities. And uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Uh, we do live events. Uh, we follow all state and local uh, COVID protocols. Um, average attendance last year was 44 giving uh, units per event. So we're not seeking, you know, hundreds and thousands of people. We're, we're seeking a, a really core group of 40 to 50 couples. But we saw $286 million committed just last year at live events. You know, we're having social distancing. People are wearing masks. And by God's grace, we didn't have any uh, spreaders, one or two cases here and there. But our teams take extraordinary care in producing our events. But every year, we gather data and analytics from all of our events, all of our clients, all of our prospects, and we publish a generosity report. And you mentioned this a few minutes ago. I thought I would throw out a statistic from our 2021 report. On average, we have screened, audited several hundred different not-for-profit organizations. And on average, those organizations only reach 13% of the prospective major donors on their file. That means 87% are untapped in their, in their donor file. So there is opportunity galore in most organizations' files. And that's what we come alongside organizations to do. Let's help find those folks. Let's bring them to a great experience. Share your wonderful story and invite them into your story. All right, Bob, well, we have to reiterate that statement that you just made, that stat, I should say. It's astounding. 87% of most nonprofits' current donors are untapped and not being reached. Now, that's shocking, honestly. It's that high of a percentage. So, I mean, here you are. You have donors right in your current database that you could reach out to. You don't have to go outside your donor base. You just have to reach the ones that are already there. That alone would increase your annual development income. All right, so now that that is established, what is typically the next step for those who are listening, especially if they're an executive director or a development director, what are the next steps that they ought to do now knowing that they're only tapping into 13% of their donor database? Certainly. So the, the things we look for, we look for the lapsed donors. And so here's, a, here's another statistic. The average gift, and these are just the donors who attend our events. I don't do a across-the-globe not-for-profit generosity report because all I have is all the, all the content we have on the donors that attend our events. But the lapsed major donors, they've been lapsed by our definition means two years or more. They've not given to an organization. 
on average, when they attended one of our events, the average gift was over $100,000 a family. So we, we screen lapsed donor files. We screen general donor files, mid-range donor files, major donor files. Listen to this. Of the major donors, current major donors who attended one of the events, on average, made a commitment 4.7 times higher than their previous largest commitment. So you have, you have this goldmine of prospects in your file, and they're hidden in your, your lapsed donor file, your current general donor file, your mid-range donor file, and your current donor file, right? We're just not tapping into the capacity, the potential that exists in the donors that are currently in our caseloads. Oh, thanks for pointing that out. You know, that is so important. In fact, I want to point out another critical stat. Uh, From recent studies by the Bank of America and the Lilly School of Philanthropy, they have pointed out that 93% of givers who give the largest gifts are motivated to do so when they know their gift will make a difference in the life of someone else. And this has led you to argue that addressing an immediate need in a human life is the bullseye of motivation of giving. In other words, I want to say that again. You argue that addressing an immediate need in a human life is the bullseye of motivation when it comes to giving. Uh, Why do you believe this? And give us some background as to why you've come to this conclusion. Yeah. So if you study that study, going back to 2008, when we had the great financial collapse, this is when it started to pivot. This is when that part of the case began to come to the forefront as the leading uh, motivation for giving in high net worth and ultra high net worth families. It was that year. So what happened? It's this monster collapse of our economy. Donors began, as we know, to reduce the number of charities they supported. They, they wanted to still be generous givers, but they didn't have the amount of money they had to give before. So they wanted to keep giving and they wanted to give big. So to do that, they had to trim the number of organizations they would uh, support. So what happened? What they focused on, because that was such an emotionally rocky time. Remember 2008, it was murder on, on emotions and hearts. And so what happened is people started to reflect their giving on what was happening in their heart. They're like, what matters to me is there are people hurting out there. And so I want to help people that are hurting. And so it tracks all the way back to 2008. But back then, it wasn't 93% like it is today. It was like 54% if memory serves me correctly. So it's become increasingly more important every single time they do this survey. This is the highest it's ever been, 93%. So we call that at Westfall Gold, we call that the transformational case. So you take your intellectual case, the who you are, the what you do, the why you do it, where you do it, how long you've done it, et cetera, et cetera. And then you, you organize that around this community of people that you're trying to reach. That's the emotional case. And then you ultimately take your mission with this group of people. What's the outcome? What's the impact? The lives transform. So when you attend one of our events, we're going to focus a great deal of the energy of the organization around the transformational story so that the donor says, hey, when I give a gift here, they're using my money to help transform a life. So it, it goes all the way back to 2008, when we first began to see this trend on the importance of the transformational case. And every single time we uh, produce an event and then we're talking about the mission of an organization, we're including a transformational case story. No, really well said. 
You know, that leads into my next question regarding communication with donors, sharing how lives are being changed by your organization and demonstrating the impact of people's giving through the stats of those lives who are changing. So this is absolutely mission critical, right, for nonprofit organizations to uh, make sure that they're communicating well with their donors. So with your years of experience, tell us what is most important regarding when and how we communicate with our donors. So I, I always like to make sure that I'm communicating regularly, but I'm, when I'm communicating, it's on purpose. And so um, I'm featuring a transformational story in almost every communication. So my wife actually taught me this. Before we were married, she ran a nonprofit called Watoto in America. She ran the U.S. office. Every email she sent me had a story of an orphan child that needed sponsored. <laughs> I found myself like sponsoring all these kids because every time she sent me an email, I couldn't say no. But when I'm communicating, it's on purpose, but I'm also, I'm bringing a transformational story to the giver. And you know that you, you referred to the Bank of America study. The other, the other motivation for giving was 94% of major donors will write a check when they believe in the mission of your organization. So what I, what I tell our clients is, look, it's mission critical that you not only sell the ministry or the, or the parachurch or church or not-for-profit or university or hospital, it's not only important that you tell what you do, but you prove that what you do works in the lives of other people. And that alone will help people believe in the mission of your organization. So those two things are always, for me, mission critical in every, I'll repeat this because it's so important, in every single touch point. I want to include something that builds the belief for the donor in the mission of the organization, number one. And number two, I'm building in something that, that demonstrates the transformational case to the donor. Do they read it every time? Maybe not. But I promise you, in every communication, there's something that's going to help reinforce their, the reason they should believe in our mission. And there's a transformational story they can access to help draw their heart deeper into the mission of the organization. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Bob. Um, and as you've said, when we as leaders help others believe in the mission, and the transformative impact of our organization, that's when we will be able to unlock transformational giving, as you say. Now, maybe you could explain a little bit more about what you mean exactly by transformational giving. I mean, what does that look like day in and day out for executive directors and development directors? Yeah, so as, as you're uh, on the phone and you're in emails when you're face-to-face, I always, always include in my moves management plans each of the contexts, each of the communications, touch points, includes content that will help reinforce belief in the organization and content that reinforces the transformational case in every touch point. So even when I'm making an ask, I'm proving the value of their investment in the organization by demonstrating the transformational case of a life transformed because of the organization. So it's central every single touch point, every moves that is prescribed in the transaction with the giver includes the, you know, building the belief in the organization, proving the transformational case. We'll be right back. Hey friends. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. You're so right. You know, every touch point we have with donors, we need to combine key data points with a story of changed lives. Okay, now, uh, one of the things that I really think is fascinating about your organization is that you have completely flipped the script when it comes to fundraising, especially in-person events. I mean, you already mentioned this earlier that how last year you broke all of your records in terms of the amount of money raised, again, through in-person events. And this is during the COVID pandemic that we're living through. So I think this is especially unique because the trend line of giving nationwide, as you know, to nonprofit organizations, sadly, has been going down. Now, this is even before COVID hit. And we found during COVID, we did see a spike in giving to humanitarian organizations and other nonprofits were responding to needs directly impacted by the COVID pandemic. However, the overall trend line is still going down when it comes to giving to nonprofits. So do you think it's time for nonprofit leaders to completely change the way they're raising funds? And if so, what should fundraising look like now and into the future? Yeah, it's a great question. What One thing that happened in 2008 that happened in 2020 was donors reduced the number of charities they support. So that's that's bad news if you're relying on direct communications exclusively for your cultivation and uh, communication with your donor community. It's so prevalent that on average, most major donors dropped at least one charity from their giving portfolio. You don't want to be that one. <laughs> no. So so what's the story? The story is you got to be in front of them. And look, uh, I'll beat this horse all the way to the ground. If 94% of major donors write a check when, you, when, when they believe in your mission, and 93%, those are combined statistics, meaning they actually will put both of those answers on the survey. And 93% will write a check when, when you prove your transformational case. The question is, why aren't you doing that every single time? Both of those things, right? And so if you're relying exclusively on relationship or communications or just, hey, they, they love us, we love them, they're going to stay involved. Guess what? You may lose. You may lose. And if you want to win, you know, be purposeful about being in relationship. The other thing that we learned, it, it's published in our generosity report. It's free. You can go on our website, westfallgold.com, get the generosity report. Here's one thing it says. The number one factor, number one, in creating a place where donors made the largest single gifts they've ever made in their entire life, a transformational gift, was when they were in community. So the question is, how often are you forming community with your major donors? doesn't have to be a major donor event for a full weekend. doesn't have to be a gala. 
what if you know what if it's just a house party you, know, you have a donor that has a, a house that it can accommodate a dozen people in this in a city that you have some strong support in throw a party you know one of the things i used to do was a backyard barbecue uh, i like barbecue i like ice cream and uh our, we had a host that would do backyard barbecue and ice cream and people would come over for a barbecue and ice cream. And it was a cultivation event. But guess what I was doing at that event? I was proving the transformational case, right? And I was, I was reinforcing their belief in the mission of our organization. Got to do that right now. And if you're not doing it, you better get caught up because you could get left out in 2022. Well, I love the fact you mentioned barbecue and ice cream, because I do think a lot of us think immediately, if we're going to increase our donors giving, we need to invest in big and expensive galas or spend a special fundraising events at nice hotels or venues. But you're saying, no, just have a barbecue and ice cream in someone's backyard, but be intentional. You can be simple, but intentional. Uh, intentionality with cultivating these relationships are absolutely critical. I love your approach here. Yeah, it, it has to be intentional. You, get, you can't waste these folks' time. You can't waste your time. You're as valuable as theirs is. And so in order to make it worthwhile, make it fun. Uh, who wants to go to an afternoon fundraiser? Not me. Who wants to go to an afternoon afternoon barbecue and ice cream thing? I go to that, you know? And it's, it's <laughs> right, so. All right. Well, another quote of yours that I really like is this one. You've been quoted as saying, trust inspires generosity. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, trust is foundational, you know, for all of us nonprofit leaders. So I'm curious from your perspective, why does trust inspire others to be more generous and how can leaders increase their trust with their donors and the broader community? Yeah, yeah. So I always say that, you know, high net worth and ultra high net worth people remind me of two-year-old kids. Two-year-old kids can see through a lie in three seconds, right? You're not telling me the truth, dad. <laughs> right away. These high net worth families and ultra high, they have a sniffer too, like crazy. And they just, they just looking for a reason uh, that you're not telling them the truth. You know, we've, we've gone through so many crises at the turn of the century that, that just, just caused people to have skepticism. Yeah. I always say before the turn of the century, I could walk into it, make a presentation to a prospective major donor and sometimes walk out with a check. And then turn of the century had the collapse of the dot com marketplace. You had, you had, all kinds of problems in charities and nonprofits and, you know, Y2K, et cetera, et cetera. People just became way more skeptical. So I have always said, hey, look, you need to invest the first portion of your moves management on building bridges of trust. That could look like anything. But one of the things I recommended was, hey, what if during one of your moves, one of your touch points with the prospective donor, you had your CFO come in to the conversation for part of it? And just say, here, I wanted to let you guys know what the fiduciary policies are of our organization, of our charity. Or you had, uh, maybe you have a really significant prospect. What if you had the treasurer of your board come to the lunch with that prospective donor and say, hey, as treasurer of the board of this organization, let me tell you the fiduciary controls we have in place as a, as a not-for-profit 501c3. What does that do to the prospective donor when sitting there in the chair and the treasurer is sitting there saying, here's all the things that we do to ensure your money goes where you want it to go. It just builds trust, right? And, and you can't skip this step. You have to build bridges of trust along the way before you make an ask. I always say you need to make at least five to seven deposits in the relationship bank before you ever try to make a withdrawal. And, and part of that is building bridges of trust. So I say, hey man, focus on what would I want to know if I was a donor 
that would build trust for this organization and and be intuitive about it. And you'll you'll hit it. You'll nail it. I could not agree with you more when it comes to building trust. And I really like your example of having a board member actually join you for a lunch and talk about the financial protocols you've put into place with your organization. And there's no doubt, I mean, surveys bear this out, that people have grown skeptical towards nonprofits. And so the more you can emphasize the financial integrity of your organization, honestly, the better. Okay, now I want to talk about another topic, a nonprofit's brand. Now, when it comes to a nonprofit's brand, this is an uncomfortable topic for many in the nonprofit world. And for some people, they just feel like this is a conversation that really belongs better in corporations or for-profit businesses. And yet, you know, I've had many people on the show who argue that a nonprofit's brand directly impacts its fundraising ability, you know, either for the good or for the bad. Um, so maybe you could talk about the importance of a nonprofit's brand. Why is it often overlooked? And many times it's inadvertently neglected altogether. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So I tie it into the, the statistic that says 94% of the donors will write a check when they believe in the mission of your organization. Brand is much more than just a mark. It's not a mark. It's who you are. It's what you do. It's what you're known for. And you know, if you don't think a bad brand hurts you, well, um, think of 9-11. There's a really, well, really famous not-for-profit organization that had quite a crisis around 9-11 with regard to the use of funds use of donated funds. And that not-for-profit had a stain on their reputation for a long, long time. They lost donors. It took a long time to get donors back. So uh, there is absolute power in a great brand. And it it doesn't start, it, it, it might have a mark with it, but that's not what you're known by. You're known by who you are and what you do and with whom you do it. You know, you're known as well as your the company that you keep. So keep good company. And do great things and you too will prosper. Well, keep a good company. Well said. You're absolutely right. And there is no doubt there have been nonprofits whose brand has been tarnished. And it takes a long time to build back that trust of donors once your brand has been tarnished. So, okay, now let's talk a little bit more about leadership specifically. This is a leadership podcast. And how do you approach leadership? In fact, you've written a book about courage entitled The Courage Factor and how it directly impacts leadership. And one of the things you point out is that fear should never keep people from living out their dreams and how they want to invest their lives. So maybe you could uh, talk about why is courage so important and are there unique challenges that face nonprofit leaders specifically where courage is especially needed? And if so, what are those and how do they tackle those head on? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I, I often see lack of courage leading to mission drift. It's usually the most often reason why there's mission drift in an organization is the leadership lacked the courage to stay on mission. They saw an opportunity that they couldn't resist. They got a little off track. And so they saw something that they thought might uh, help expand, uh, quote unquote, the mission of the organization, and they drift. And what happens? They get off brand. They lose loyalty. So courage is, man... You're, you're battling every day for the mission of your organization to stay true to its mission, to, st to have a vision that's compelling, that's inviting. And when you do that, when you put a stake in the ground, you put your name on the line. And once you've done that, you have to stick to it, right? And uh, too often, we see people bow to uh, tough times. And if you see that, it's it's often leading to mission drift or off mission and you lose 
personnel, you lose board members. So courage for me is putting a stake in the ground saying, I am on mission and that's what I am as a person, human being. The courage factor is my life. I'm just laying it out there for anybody who might want to read it. God, I believe, planted and uh, created me with a very special talent of his that he entrusted into my stewardship as a human being. And that's the major donor event model. I was, uh, in my opinion, gifted that from God, that vision. And uh, I have a responsibility to steward that well. And, and, you know, after uh, 18 years and $1.4 billion raised, I think uh, the stewardship of that vision has been uh, pretty good. So all of that to say, yeah, don't shrink back. The word courage is meant to put a stake in the ground and fight for what you believe is in the your heart of hearts and don't be tempted to sway. Stay on purpose, stay on mission and have the courage to fight through. All right. Well, one last question for you, Bob. Uh, you work with hundreds of nonprofit organizations and leaders. What is the single greatest challenge facing the nonprofit sector this year and into the future? Yeah, it's, it's two things. It's mission drift. Um, so we're seeing a lot of mission drift. Organizations in the last couple of years try to figure out how they could leverage the, the COVID moment and got off, got off mission. And that doesn't help you. Uh, it hurts you. There were some pretty creative ways that organizations found ways to tie COVID into their mission. And it didn't hurt them too bad. But I would, I would encourage you get on mission. Number one, transformational generosity happens when people buy into your mission, not to a project, not to a project. That's transactional giving. Transformational ha- giving happens when someone buys into your mission. They believe in your mission. They bought your transformational stories and they say, Hey, we're all in. We're going to make a transformational gift to this organization. That happens when you have relationship, when you have built belief in the mission, when you've proven your transformational case and you're doing things in community. So if I was going to leave you with one word, it would be get in community, continue to preach and articulate that the benefits and the reasons why they need to believe in your mission, articulate your transformational case and stay on mission. And that will result, in my opinion, in a fantastic 2022. Excellent. Great words of wisdom. Well, Bob, thank you for being on the show and sharing your insights. And thanks for all you're doing to help nonprofits maximize their donors that are already in their database. Now, how can people find out a little bit more about you, your organization, and even your book? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and our company is uh, westfallgold.com. Westfall Gold, just like it sounds westfallgold.com and then bob-westfall.com. And then the book is available on Amazon or other bookstores. Well, Bob, thanks again for taking time to be on the show. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thanks for the invitation. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.